part two of our podcast with RJ Harper, where he discusses coronavirus, the effects on the African-American community, and ways we can all boost our immune system. So now we fast forward to the pandemic. What have been some of the uh, lessons from the trenches? We talked a little bit about some of the works you've been doing with the pandemic, with the food bank, for example, and getting them to give fresh fruit, fresh foods instead of canned foods. You know, what other lessons did you learn? Because I'm assuming you pushed for that initiative because that was something you became aware of because you were volunteering, right, at the food bank. What other sort of lessons have you like learned in the trenches since the pandemic? Hmm. That's a very good question. Thank you. So I think what you're alluding to is the food pantry program that's run here in Jersey City by an organization called BITE, B-I-T-E. And BITE feeds about 1,400 people every week on Saturdays, free meals, free meals, free vegetables, and bags of fruits and vegetables. And it's a great program. It's been around for about 14 years. But during the pandemic, when they were feeding maybe like 400 people previously, during the pandemic, it rose to 1,400 people regularly. And I was happy to be involved with the organization. But when I realized that for a certain percentage of the time, the pantry was, you know, giving people canned goods and bags of sugar, I kind of approached the director and I said, hey, listen, you know, I'm happy to volunteer here, but you know, let's have a conversation about coronavirus and what's happening in the African-American community and why our people are dying disproportionately. And if that is the case, and we know that, why are we giving away free sugar in the middle of a pandemic? Because sugar is just nothing but a toxin. So, and it was like, you know what? This is actually really valuable. So as opposed to just sitting there kind of throwing stones at what they were doing, we devised a kind of protocol of fruits and vegetables and things that people should know about to help protect and boost their immune system. So we quickly turned the pantry giveaway food program into an initiative that everybody at least would walk away with in our community, and particularly the seniors in our community who were very vulnerable and had been dying, to the idea that let's start giving our seniors food that will help to boost their immune system. So we cut out things like canned vegetables and sugar And we replaced that with things like fresh lemons, fresh orange juice, organic orange juice. These were all donations from places like Tropicana and fresh ginger, fresh turmeric, and things like that that we knew would be things to help people build people's immune system. And they were getting a free bag of it. So that was, I think, really valuable, particularly because I realized that there were some people in our community that didn't know how to eat fresh ginger. Many people who had never heard of turmeric or had other medical issues. I mean, literally, there was a woman who had never cooked mushrooms before and didn't know how to cook them. Like, we had fresh mushrooms. I mean, beautiful wow. portobello mushrooms, right? Wow. And in our community, she's like, you know what? What do I do with this? We were shocked, right? So those are just some real things that you just, people eat sometimes in a very small universe because they're right, growing, yeah. they grow up on their typical Black folks diet, canned corn, Right. We all had canned corn that, you know, you know, canned beans. And so that was okay, right? Never thinking about the amount of salt content that you're eating. And I mean, just it's horrible stuff. So that education about fresh fruits and vegetables and beets and fresh onions. We gave away so many onions, but as many people know, eating onions is a very important part of the, any kind of, you know, respiratory pandemic because, you know, onions are a very, very good source of sulfur. 
that kills the majority of the bad bacteria in your stomach. So right. there's nothing else you take away from this podcast. Make sure during the pandemic you eat lots and lots of fresh raw onions as much as possible during the pandemic to help to kill as much bad bacteria in your intestinal tract as possible. Now, how much support did you have to give people around like how to use these things? Or did you have to explain to them like you grate the turmeric and, you know what I mean? Or and give tell them what to do with it or... Yeah. So literally, I mean, it's funny that you say that because when I was first kind of invited down to come and work with them, I asked them, I said, but what do you want me to do? I mean, I can stand in line and give out groceries, but there's got to be some bigger initiative that could happen. So as it turns out, because when I was really involved in February of last year, during the beginning of the height of the pandemic and the numbers of people dying. So one of the last weekends that we were able to be open in February we were visited by the police and they were told that, you know, because of coronavirus, they have to shut down the pantry. So we were really upset because we started giving out groceries around 10 and by 1130, we got shut down and we still had truckloads and truckloads of food. And we typically don't leave until like four or five. So we had a lot of food there and we were not able to give it out to the people. So people were upset. The police shut us down because of coronavirus. And it was too many people that showed up that day. So then we had to do deliveries to people's houses for all that food, which is a nightmare. We didn't get home till like the next day. But I bring that up because in some of the difficulty that we had, we were surprised that the police would shut us down. So ultimately what we figured out was I would become the social distancing captain for the pantry. And I got out there with my stick, what was like six feet long, right? And I kind of separated everybody so that they would be six feet away. Many people donated masks. Many people made masks so that it would allow people to be in line. I mean, from my knowledge, nobody got infected with COVID during the entire time that we were doing what we did because of social distancing, because of the masks. And, you know, the community got it. So the health department opened us up the following week because we had taken pictures of all of the things that we had done. We showed them what our coronavirus protocols were going to be. And that, I think, kind of became a template even for the health department to say, hey, you know, like these black folks got it together. They shouldn't be closed. They're doing a service to the community. We thought that because of coronavirus, they should close. But given the way that they've organized here with social distancing and the masks, you know what? Actually, let them stay open. So then the mayor wanted to get involved because we had set up this sort of great protocol to move forward in the middle of the worst parts of the pandemic. And for the entire summer and even up until now, that pantry has worked feeding about 1,400 people every week. Wow. Okay. That is something to be proud of. That's quite a legacy you're building there, RJ. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I say this because it's a group of people. It's not just me. You know, I try to work with good people who are trying to do things in the community. You know, we reached out to many organizations from time to time and trying to get help from some of these places with no help. And, and for me, it's not even about legacy. It's just about, you know, this is some things that just need to be done in the community. People need to stand up for each other. And that's it. You know, I agree. I totally agree. And I love that you acknowledge that it was a team effort, you know, that it wasn't just you, because that is really important, you know, to oh, acknowledge yeah. the people oh, yeah. that help us achieve these these big goals, right? 
No, no, it's it's a team effort, right? I just right. happen to kind of be on the marketing end of it. And, you know, and even another part of it is, you know, as a former Peace Corps volunteer, I talked about this, like, you know, this kind of work is something that for whatever reason just resonates with me. And particularly right. what we were trying to do during the coronavirus time, the fact that I speak Spanish and had been made the social distancing captain had been another component to this because, as you can imagine, with 1,400 people in line worried about coronavirus, someone's going to get on someone's nerve because they don't have their mask up and someone's mask is not over their nose or someone's getting too close to me and then something happens where somebody's upset. I mean, there were a couple of occasions someone was too close or someone wasn't wearing their mask properly and I had to intervene with my stick and get people to just respect one another's space and things like that. So it's not always been easy. I also will say that, you know, for a very long time, people thought I was crazy in my community for talking about chromium as much as I had been until we won the $600 million settlement, you know? And they thought this was going to be a 20-year battle. It only tended to be about five years. So I would just say to broadcast this podcast out to people who are listening that those are the kinds of distractions and negativity and stone throwing from the sidelines that I think advocates really need to be aware of and process through. And I say that because as much as I think this podcast is a celebration of environmentalism, I think it also is an opportunity for me to talk about the enormous impact that this has on so many environmentalists. And I think there should be a podcast about the number of environmentalists that have committed suicide, just related to the enormous problem encountered and then cannot get traction and or have lost income, their jobs and their careers trying to stand up for planet Earth. I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the things that we do always talk about is self-care. Because if you're in this kind of work for a lifetime, as many of us are, you have to figure out how to take care of yourself, how to recover, how to come back, how to bounce back and develop some inner tools to sustain you when sometimes it just feels like such an uphill battle. You know, it just feels... um, you you know, two steps forward, three steps back. Um, And how to just keep getting up and carrying on. And I think that that is a good lead in to what kind of advice do you have for encouraging, you know, the better angels in ourselves, but also in people that we encounter when there is, it can be so easy to feel hopeless and to feel, you know, to look for the worst in people. It takes work to look for the best and to expect the best from people. So what kind of advice do you have in regards to that, particularly as it comes to activists and advocates? So I will say that you really have to build a team of other people. I mean, I would say it was important for me to join other environmental groups to celebrate our wind and, you know, lick our wounds kind of thing. I've developed a really great relationship with Zoe Kelman, who was the original person who wrote that environmental report of the NJDEP. And because of her, I think, knowledge about the science and how prevalent these types of environmental problems are in America, I think it's sustained me a lot. And I would say that you kind of have to develop your own squad of like-minded sort of light bearers who kind of get it, but are not going to be intimidated or pressed by the amount of difficulty that they're going to run into. And then look at examples of so many organizations and people that have been successful. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I think these kinds of podcasts are informative, because Somebody will hear this and be inspired, hopefully, to stand up for their community, but they'll probably do it in a way that's a little bit smarter because they've heard some maybe little nuggets of information on how to organize, you know? 
and innovative ways to think about how to do your work. That's been helpful for me. I mean, I give a lot of credit also to Earth Justice. You know, Earth Justice in 2013 made me one of their Earth Justice ambassadors, where they sent me to Washington, D.C. with 100 other community organizers from around the country to members of Congress about the need for cleaner air in America. And to hear their stories, hanging out with them at the hotel that night about similar issues that we were dealing with here in Jersey. I mean, it was incredible because many of them had the very same symptoms of alienation in their communities for trying to do stuff where others just didn't get it or were too busy or not interested. And yet we're still able to accomplish a lot regardless of that. I really feel like I went on an emotional journey with you um, through this. I'm sure my experience was nothing like, you know, the actual thing, but I I love the way that you are so transparent with the ups and downs. But Julia, as we wrap this up, what do you have to say? You get any insights, any inspiration, anything coming to you as a result of RJ sharing here before we wrap this up? Yes, I think it's important to never give up hope. And especially when you're battling large corporations and environmental pollution and whatever we're battling as a society, I think through the ups and downs, self-care, perseverance, always making a comeback and never giving up because the future of our planet is at stake and our communities, our children, and it is all of our responsibility to leave a world that is habitable and beautiful for our children. So I'm very inspired. And I would say for everybody else's children, too. Um. <laughs> I mean, the collective, I don't have, I mean, as I'm in the collective. I'm you. I'm teasing you. You know, um, for the planet, I mean, this, right. it's, it's really serious. We're not talking about it nearly enough. Um, I'm, I'm teasing you, but I'm also making the point because I have heard a lot of people say that they're doing it for their children or their grandchildren. And my feeling when I became a mom was, Um, You become a mom to everybody, to every child in the world. And Mm -hmm. I would say to this day, I still, not that I'm inviting any specific children to come to me, but (laughs) I do feel, you know, that, that we are doing this, not even just for all the children, but for everybody, all the beings on the planet, you know, the animals, you know, the trees, the plants, all of that. But also, as we're wrapping this up, One of the nuggets that I see reflected in your story is that I always say that institutions are changed by the people within them. And if we want different kind of institutions, the people within them have to wake up and hear the call. Just recently, I had the conversation with my husband about how I need to believe in the goodness of people. I need to believe in the decency of people. And that is really what we want to encourage. And when young people are looking at jobs, look at these kinds of issues. You know, what is the track record of this company before you accept an interview from them? And to think about these kinds of things, like what do you want your attention, your talent to actually support and sustain? And I think it is important for businesses to think about their legacy because some of these companies, I mean, Wachovia no longer exists, But if you do a search, the first things that come up are scandals. And so I think that is part of like brands do care about brand equity and the value of their brand, because even when they go under, oftentimes they are no longer exactly operating. They license those brands, they sell them, so they still have value. And if it comes down to they don't care about just doing the right thing to think of it in terms of this will impact your money. 
And I think that that is becoming more and more of the strategy. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I would say that I was angered that some organizations that we kind of reached out to, like the NAACP, were, well, we'll do a prayer vigil or we'll do a, you know, something that's just not going to work, frankly, you know, to get you the results that you want. And I would say that it was a bit of an epiphany for the community to realize that the only thing that these companies understand is money and suing them in federal court was really going to only be the way to get any semblance of justice here. Because a protest, a letter, calling the media, calling the NJDP, like all of that did not work. And money talked, right? So affecting their bottom line and suing them in federal court for damages, I think has given them great pause. I mean, they've been in court now for more than 10 years fighting additional litigation that's come up from this. And they still have at least a billion dollars of liability in Jersey City at minimum. So the community will have to stand up, continue to stand up. And they're understanding that the only thing that these companies really understand is that they're losing money. That's when they really decide to kind of get forced to do the right thing. Don't lose sight of that. It does not take away from any kind of protest or prayer vigil. But in this society... Suing in federal court is what I would just recommend. And just as an aside to this, we didn't sue in local court. We didn't sue in state court. We had to sue in federal court because of what we determined that in New Jersey, the corruption of the local courts and even the state courts and the enormous influence of this multinational, we would not have seen the level of justice I think that we got. We only could have gotten that in federal court where their influence would have been minimal. And under, the so Ob- and, under, and under the Obama administration, because we would not have been able to be the successful under the Trump administration, given that during the Trump administration, all of the regulations about environmental right. uh, cleanup stuff was tossed out. So we had a very narrow window, you know what I mean, during the Obama mm-hmm. administration to get this off. And I'm very happy that we pulled the trigger when we did, because I can guarantee you that we would not have had the similar outcome during the Trump administration at all. Right. Because I'm thinking, like, since you did it during the Obama administration, you did have their regulations to at least refer to as a standard baseline versus right. if there are no... Yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, okay. I mean, and, that's, and that's the problem that's happening. I mean, you look around in your community, all of this overbuilding is happening and was happening, right? Because there's basically no standard under Donald Trump. So even though a lot of stuff has been built, under Trump, a lot of stuff has been built on toxic land. Yeah, I live in one of those communities, but I couldn't really get my community interested in that issue. And people were more focused on the promise of jobs from the new cancer center. Do you know what I mean? Um, And not questioning why are we seeing an increase in cancer? Why did they decide in 1999 to roll back environmental protections to encourage, for example, commercial farming with the insight or with the plan that the plan would be to develop medical districts? That sort of sounds like, you know, what did they know? And it's very hard to get some of those environmental reports in this part. I tried for years to get this water report. And finally, I hate to say it, I just sort of gave up. Also, because nobody else seemed to care. It's like, and once I get it, then what am I going to do? You know? So so I hear Um, you on that. But I, I would say, you know, when you are passionate about these things, the universe will guide you, you know, just about this. I mean, I've had many dark days related to this. I had a situation where the prosecutor's office in this town called 
called me and told me that I was going to be under investigation for having sent an email to all of the employees and using a city email address for everybody and that I was under investigation. They wanted to meet with me and some other detective because I was going to be investigated for having tried to help my community. Like, how crazy is that, you know? Um, Told a true story, right? With that, right? I mean, you know, those types of intimidating things happen. Right. Uh, That's a fact and reality. Oh, yeah. I got blacklisted for a long time. It's one of the reasons I came online and uh, started podcasting back in 2005, 2006, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah, So I think that certainly for me, the Internet was, you know, sort of like the saving grace because I was able to connect with people who didn't think that I was crazy and who understood. But I also I started to help people in other places that I think kept me from going nuts and right. uh, meanwhile, they've, you know, built a ton of crap. I won't call it crap, but anyway, they built a bunch of stuff. But anyway, we're not getting all into that. I really want to thank you, RJ, for your time. And I would hope that you would feel welcome to come back and share with us again, keep us updated, maybe, on oh, what's yeah. going on. Well, no, I appreciate it. So thank you for having this. Thank you for doing the podcast. Thank you for all of the positive energy that you're bringing to the media related to this. I mean, I think that with all the bad of COVID, this has led you to this kind of podcast thing that has been able to resonate with a lot of people. So keep doing this because it's very important work. And I'm happy to share this with my following of people because I think the story is really relevant and important. And I think what you're trying to do in the media, particularly in the African-American community, and just trying to get the information out there in a way that's very thoughtful and thought-provoking, we need that. We need these voices because, particularly in our communities, the issue of environmentalism is going to affect us like it affects all communities. And the more I think we can wake people up to how intertwined our lives are environmentally and how important it is to protect the planet. We're heading down a road where kind of like the last soldiers for this thing may go over some precipice. Um, there are some very disturbing stories about our oceans, for example, right. that you know, by 2050, because of overfishing and plastic and microplastics, we might not have any more large fish in the ocean. And that's a trajectory that's happening because of overfishing. I mean, if you look at what China's doing right now, overfishing like crazy, it's just not sustainable. So we're headed to a dark place. I mean, that's just the reality. And I think that you know, those of us who try to stand up while we're here to be able to do some of the things can push that back. And we really just need to get so many more people aware of these important issues. Yes. I like to remind people, it's like, we need the planet to live. The planet doesn't need us. Let's remember that, people. And when I hear all the economic pushback of the cost of doing things better, think about the cost of continuing what we're doing. And I think that that's an easy answer. And business doesn't continue without the planet. That makes no sense to me, that argument. It just is so insane. But just to remember, everybody, that we need the planet. The planet doesn't need us. Yeah, I will dovetail that. Um, The planet is going to be here. You know, right. right? The planet is going to be here, people. God makes that promise to us, right? We can do a lot to ruin it, but I think if you, you know, and I'll just say this, if you look at the history of pandemics, right? Right. This planet has gotten rid of hundreds of millions of people at a time and can do it again with no problem. Mother Nature has a way of just taking care of herself. And plagues have happened. Pandemics have happened. We're operating at the uh, mercy of Mother Nature. But Mother Nature knows how to bring back Black Death. Mother Nature knows how to bring coronavirus. So I think we as a species are very naive to the abilities of this planet to take care of itself. And whenever 
uh, things that we are part of a larger system. I mean, I think that that's what people forget. It's like we are part of a larger system. And we're not the most intelligent creatures on this planet by far. That that's the other reality that I think that many people just don't. How does don't anybody realize. think that with the species that have been here so much longer? It's like who thinks that whales? How could whales not be more intelligent than us? I'm just saying. I mean, just to, well, to because anyway. whales because whales didn't build skyscrapers and therefore they can't be more intelligent than us somehow. You know, that's a really really shallow measurement of intelligence, <laughs> but. <laughs> Right, something like that. That's sort of like overlooking the intelligence of the planet. So that explains a lot of the mentality that we see. Okay, we could go on, clearly, folks. We can go on with this, like, forever. But thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you listening. Share it with a friend. Share it, you know, your social media. Spread the word. And um, join us next time. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys.